we were talking and I was giving Lexi like things that she could cut from episode six. And I was like, you can cut just like most of me talking and let someone else give them, give everyone a break from my voice. And then Lexi was like, you're our fearless leader though. And I was like, no, I'm scared of everything. And I just love listening to myself talk. That's what the deal is here. That's what's happening. The fear doesn't come across. So Oh, that's good. I wasn't on TikTok because I don't go on TikTok because I don't have a TikTok because I don't get it. But I follow an account on Twitter that just posts all of Hank Green's TikToks. Apparently there's like some dance challenge, I bet, or something. I'm making an assumption where you like put on your shoes or something and I don't know. I don't know. But he was like leaning over doing something with his shoes and then he threw his shoe at the phone and yelled, do your homework, which I thought was very funny. Are you going to talk about Hank Green every episode? Yes. (laughs) I wish he was my dad. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. It's time for my favorite Zoom meeting. Up in the top left corner is Lexi. Lexi, what's your superpower? My superpower is writing essays the night before they're due, not double checking them, submitting them, and then having the professor say, wow, you're a great writer. And down at the bottom is Haley. Haley, what would your superhero name be? And why is it Sprinkle Bear McPuss in Boots? Ugh. I really, I had my superpower <laughs> all ready to go and you switched it on me. Um, Sprinkle Bear McPuss in Boots was something off of a whim. Um, that was like a gut visceral reaction to my superpower name. I guess I'll stick. I don't know why it's that long. I have a really long last name. I love short and sweet names. I hate that. It's sprink- Sprinkle Bear McPuss and Boots. Yes. I'm I need worst. to, we need to like keep bringing it up so that we can have Sprinkle Bear McPuss and Boots merch someday. No. And please, if you'd like to contact Haley, write to our podcast. We cannot stress this enough. Even if you don't have anything to say, send us a DM and just be like, this is for Sprinkle Bear McPuss and Boots. This is why I can't speak freely and <laughs> just need, I don't know. I can't have nice things because then I say crap like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Alana and I watch blockbuster superhero movies the way they were meant to be seen on the tiny airplane screen on the back of the seat in front of me. Or at least I used to. All right, I have a question for you all. What is the definition of a shiro? A hero who uses she her pronouns? I love that. I think I'm gonna second that. Yeah, I'm also gonna say like people who were overlooked. I know that's like our whole podcast is like people who were overlooked, but that's that's how I feel. I'm holding out for a shiro. Holding out for a shiro. Till how does the song go? I don't even know. Till the end of the night. Can I tell you the first time I heard that song? Str- gotta be- <laughs> she's gotta be strong and she's gotta be tough.
the first time I heard that song, for reals, for reals, the first time I heard that song, Shrek 2. Dead serious. I think that's, yeah, I think that's the same. No, the first time you heard Holding Out for Shiro was right now when I wrote it. You may have heard a different song. the, The original song. The original song. This is parody, therefore it's protected under parody law. Shiro and the Oracle, that is Urban Dictionary, has like two top definitions in their like first thing that comes up. The first one is a woman or man who supports women's rights and respects women's issues. The second is female hero. Basically saying he as in hero and it's like Greek and old English rooted words going into all that we're not here for. It's not fun. The fun part is just how someone put it Shiro as an obnoxious word built off the word hero, but in the same breath is like a man or woman who fights women's issues. And then truly just like a whole mix of um, how this word's obnoxious. Thoughts. I hate the term women's issues. That makes me me sick to my stomach. Yeah, I don't like it either. Second, let's edit Urban Dictionary. My definition was better because I don't like either of those definitions. No, No, there are like a whole host of definitions and that was me dwindling it down. Like the fact that it says female hero, like that makes me upset because someone can be female and not use she as a pronoun. So that frustrates me. And then also I don't like the term women's issues that's don't like just the term that women. just doesn't sit well with me Ugh. um you know i don't like that also i didn't think of like hero as like he i always saw as h-e-r so like her so that's why you said her yeah. in the original spreadsheet i also had a few drinks in me but that's neither here you nor there drinks yes. well also the feminine form of hero is heroin but then that sounds like drugs yeah, that's true. That's also true. Honestly, There's I'd rather layers. be a drug than, like, a woman. If it woman's rights <laughs> and it's, like, heroin's rights, I'd rather be like that. In that 2020 America, if you were a drug that was being sold by a pharmaceutical company, you would have more rights than a woman. <laughs> Lexi, leave that in. Oh, hell yeah, I will. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> So our first Shiro today is Idoweli Zaradia Lewis, who was born on February 25th, 1842. And in 1854, her family moved to a little island called Lime Rock. It was off the coast of Newport, Rhode Island. The family made the move when her father became keeper of the lighthouse there. And living on a rock meant her and her three younger siblings needed to row a boat back and forth to school on the mainland each day. So Ida became a strong rower. She also learned to swim against really rough waves. And so she was just all around really good in the water. In 1858, 16-year-old Ida rescued four young men. The group had been sailing when a strong wave capsized their boat near Lime Rock, and Ida, by this time a well-practiced rower, rode out to where the boys were struggling to tread water. She hauled all four of them aboard and rowed them to shore. The event received very little publicity, even though this 
16-year-old girl saved four people. When Ida was in her teens, her father's health began to decline and he became wheelchair bound. So Ida had to learn the skills needed to keep the lighthouse running so that her family could continue to run the lighthouse and receive an income. In 1869, a pair of soldiers were on a boat near Lime Rock during a snowstorm and the snowstorm turned their ship over. Ida, who was actually ill at the time, didn't even stop to put on her coat and went out to rescue the soldiers with the assistance of her younger brother. In recognition of her service at this time, President Ulysses S. Grant awarded her the Congressional Medal of Honor. Grant and his vice president visited Ida's lighthouse to congratulate her, and a story about the rescue was published in the New York Tribune. In 1872, Ida's father unfortunately passed away, and her mother briefly became the lighthouse keeper. In 1870, Ida became the lighthouse keeper because her mother was beginning to be sick. At one point, she was the highest paid lighthouse keeper in America. Her mother, who was now at this point very ill, eventually passed away in 1887. There is no written record of the exact number of people Ida saved, but accounts from the time estimate she saved at least 18 people or possibly as many as 36. Many national magazines acknowledged her for her great heroism and she became a household name in New England. In 1911, Ida is believed to have suffered a stroke. She died shortly after. The city of Newport flew their flags at half-mast and thousands of fans came to Lime Rock to bid her farewell. After her death, the lighthouse was renamed Ida Lewis Lighthouse and Lime Rock was renamed Lewis Rock in honor of her 54 years of service. Lewis Rock is now home to the Ida Lewis Yacht Club. Though Ida's actions and career were considered masculine and caused much debate during her lifetime, she was recognized as a heroine by many young women who admired her. She inspired girls, showing them women could be strong and save men, something young women at the time likely did not see reflected anywhere else in their lives. And that's what makes her a shiro. I was literally today talking about when I was, when I was like 11 or something, we did, my family did like a sort of driving tour of Cape Cod, Connecticut, and Rhode Island, and I was literally talking about that trip with my mom on the phone today, because it's Sunday, it's Call Your Mother Day. So I was, like, actually talking about Rhode Island today, which is really interesting. Like, what a weird coincidence. I didn't know anything about her. That's cool. She is a little-named person. She's not frequently mentioned, but she does appear in some historical books sometimes. Like, there's a book in the Smithsonian Libraries that is called, like, Women Heroes of Our Great Nation, and it's from, like, 1890-something, like, during her lifetime, and it mentions her. And has a cute little drawing of her rowing a boat. Do you have a link to that in the show notes? I do not have that specific link, but I can give it to you. And I will put, we'll put it in the show notes. That link will be in the show notes. It's not yet, but I will put it in there. I have to see this drawing. So this Shiro might come at a surprise because you might be like, why did she save the day? But hopefully the story I tell will kind of 
steer you on that path. Selena Quintanilla Perez, or the Queen of Tejano Music, was one of the most iconic singers of the late 20th century and a trailblazer in Tejano music. I know, I know, the theme is save the day, and you're probably thinking, why Selena? What did she save? Well, I basically wrote half a page of this long-winded story on why she saved the day in my middle school Spanish class. But honestly, just Google the testimonies on how Selena changed the lives of so many people, and you be the judge of this whole story. So let's crack open this history book on Selena. Born on April 16, 1971, in Lake Jackson, Texas, her family wasn't originally from fame, but before fame, she was a singer of her family's band, Selena y los Dinos, that worked weddings, fairs, and other venues along the U.S.-Mexican border. And her father was also a musician back in the day, so not only did the kids get the musical talent from him, but they also were trained and mentored by him. And you see a lot of the family influence come out in her music later. So funnily enough, she grew up speaking English, not speaking Spanish, but her father taught her how to sing in Spanish so she could connect better with the Latin American community. And in the HBO 1997 Selena movie with J-Lo, you kind of see like how and why Abraham, her father, picked that. And she did learn to speak Spanish fluently because as she rose to fame, she had to kind of be in interviews. And a lot of these were Mexican broadcasting news organizations, which they were going to be asking and expecting her to answer in Spanish. So her rise to fame, she had to break so many barriers because of Tejano music, which is a style of music that fuses Mexican, U.S., and European elements together, was heavily male-dominated. In 1990, her Ven Conmigo album was the first Tejano album by a female artist to go gold. And in the following years, songs like Como La Flor, Bitty Bitty Bom Bom, Si Una Vez, the others quickly made it to the top of the charts and are still iconic songs. Even on the radio a few days ago, I listened to this. I was listening to some channel and Como La Flor came on and I was like, I'm doing her. This is like a sign because I really struggled to pick a Shiro. Through all this fame, she is noted as humble, caring, and overall a lovely girl that truly put her family, friends, and fans above her own happiness sometimes. And people would just comment on how great she was in interviews, just meeting her on the street. And even the HBO and other kind of documentaries, movies show that she was just a lovely, lovely human. To pivot slightly, she was most definitely a Renaissance woman. While continuing her musical career, she started a whole fashion experience. Her style overall was considered to be breaking bounds of toting the line between, quote, sexy rebel and Amer Mexican-American good girl. And for those who do not know, she mostly is known for her bustiers, tight pants, and jackets. All these fashion icons were inspirations from her stage wear, which she made available to the public because she made those herself which I thought was like pretty cool. Like all her stage wear is coming from her, especially when they were just like a touring small band along the border, they would have to get creative and Selena would take charge in what everyone would wear on stage. The Smithsonian's National Museum of American History actually has one of the leather outfits she wore and I couldn't figure out if it was on display or not, but they do have 
that and I believe other Selena artifacts and have done a lot of stuff with Selena, which will all be in the show notes. She also sometimes referred to as, quote, Mexican Madonna, which I personally think is garbage for so many reasons because both those females, women, ladies are their own identities. And like her music doesn't sound like Madonna. No, the only way that Selena is the Mexican Madonna is if Madonna is the white Selena. Yeah. Like I would accept like either of those because I love flipping that script. I saw that quote, like quote Mexican Madonna too many times to not put it in and just be like, this is a dump stuff. But I feel like the only similarity is the leather. It's like the leather and then like bustiers and the bustiers she'd wear would be like bedazzled bras. So I was thinking of like Madonna with the cone boobs. And it's like, what, we're going to call Katy Perry? Like, so many female musicians dress like that. Yeah, it's, but also I really wish I was even born. I was born right after. Hashtag 1997, baby. I would have totally gotten leather jacket from Selena when she like did her whole public appearance. There's so many interviews of her just talking about her clothing and you see how passionate she is. She broke even more barriers when she became the first Tejano artist to win the Grammy for Best Mexican-American Album in 1994, and this was at the 36th Grammy Awards. Unfortunately, only a year after her Grammy win, at the height of her fame, she was murdered. At age 23, she was murdered by the president of her fan club, Yolanda Saldivar, in Corpus Christi, Texas. And Yolanda was considered like her close friend, part of the family, even though Abraham has been on record saying like he didn't trust her, especially when a lot of like paper trails of money going missing and just fans being like, this isn't right. Like I ordered this thing and this came instead or nothing came at all where he was like, okay, why is Yolanda in our life? How did she come about? And really Yolanda approached Selena with being like, I'm your number one fan. Let me do all this stuff for you. Once the money laundering and all the other like sketchy stuff was coming to light, that's when she killed Selena with a gun. So there's a lot of info about like Yolanda and her headspace for this. And since she survived and Selena didn't, obviously they use Yolanda. Like 2020 did a whole episode interviewing Yolanda. And there's a clip even where she is saying her conscience is clear, she didn't mean to kill Selena, and the murder was a complete accident. And like, she almost, I got the sense that she felt worse that she didn't commit suicide versus like murdering Selena. Yeah, Lana's giving me that face, yes. It was like a whole, we just such a horrible, horrible scenario where Selena was like, I'll confront her dad or, admitting that she'll confront Yolanda, starting to be like, hey, there's a lot of sketchy criminal activity coming. You're the president of my fan club. What is going on? I'm talking to you as my friend. I want to work this out with you. Apparently, Yolanda had a gun, was and willing, did use it on Selena. And Selena, I believe, died either on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. I couldn't get a full confirmation from a reputable source of what happened there. Honestly, that whole 2020, I linked in the show notes. It's on YouTube in different parts. Someone kindly posted that. And it just shows you how sketchy Yolanda was. 
and clearly the interviewers were trying to like kind of be like okay you're kind of a kook we don't have selena's mark we want to do a tribute of her overall legacy we're going to pick you and yolanda's actually up for pearl in 2025 which i knew when i saw the movie in middle middle school hence she saved my day that day going back to that now it just feels so much more real being like in 2020 versus like some random mid 2000s because all our whole like middle school class was obsessed with yolanda Honestly, most people were for like the wrong reason. Like they started looking at her Wikipedia, seeing that Yolanda Salzbar has like a fan club now, which is like completely inappropriate. But I kept thinking like, yo, why is she on parole? And she would be on parole because she would have served at least 30 years of her sentence. So it's like 30 years to life sentence. Honestly, I don't think she's going to get paroled. Um, I never read an indication that she was but you never know the yolanda fan club kind of goes back to what we were saying in our um lady criminals episode like yes these freaking serial killers that have fan clubs and that's so messed up i almost actually picked yolanda salzavar um as my lady criminal because just whole rap sheet on her and there's just so much on like her publicness she's still alive and in the interviews, she's like wearing makeup, wearing nice clothing. And I'm like, you're painting her as like an innocent, sweet lady. She's talking about murder. Like this is, no, <laughs> like I, I feel like we wouldn't do that. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like we wouldn't do that for certain people. Like people still have sympathy for her. Hence, she's not wearing like the prison jumpsuit. They're not doing it in a prison yard. They're like creating this space to paint a picture. So to end on a happy note, I've kind of compiled a list on her legacy. And boy, howdy, even just in the past few years, the, the list goes on and on. I made like a whole list from when she died and, um, and after, so like 1995 to 2020. And yes, that's a lot of years, but just all the stuff. There's a lot of family drama, court drama, stuff with Yolanda Salzavar and to keep it positive and keep it with stuff that we can use as lady history and just like us as a community loving her. MAC Cosmetics has created two makeup lines in her honor. The lipstick is chef's kiss gorgeous. It's like her iconic red lipstick. I'm still looking for it. I keep thinking oh I'll see it when I go to MAC or Sephora and I just probably should just order it online. Um, she also has a Hollywood Walk of Fame star, which you can go visit. Lastly, we have a ton of documentaries and biopics, notably the movie with J-Lo that is, in fact, on HBO. And I believe Netflix is also in the works with creating a series within the near future. The trailer's out. It looks fantastic. And if my ever-so-humble opinion, a lot of these biopics are actually pretty decent. They do show the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I could be wrong, you could totally fight me. But when I watched the movie, when I had HBO, made a list of points I wanted to hit or kind of corroborate, because I thought it was interesting when I was watching the movie of like, oh, the J-Lo movie did like a great job because all of that, like I could find in like interviews or like the Smithsonian had a bunch, PBS, CNN, for PSA of the sources, lots of visuals this time. So if you're, Oh, visual, you like the videos, you like the audio for it. 
rather than the text in all the books, uh, definitely check those out. That was cool. Definitely not someone I think of as fitting this topic, but that was awesome. We define sheroes like anyone who makes an impact. Yeah. Female. So like, and honestly, I, I had like a whole joke of how I really did want to be in my Spanish middle school class. And I didn't like know of her existence beforehand. I've listened to some of her music growing up, but I didn't realize like her whole story. And that is Selena, Selena, however you want to say it. I don't know. You can, you can fight me on how to pronounce her name. But like, it was the first time I saw Spanish representation in a Spanish class, which is saying a lot. Awesome. That's so cool. I guess it helps when you're like telling real stories and not being, or at least trying to tell real stories and not yeah. making shit up. And also like the cast, at least for JLo and I'm thinking off the top of my head, weren't like white people playing Hispanic Latino characters. The Spanish was good. Like we'll see West Side Story, Natalie Wood with brown face on. That was not the situation here <laughs> and will not be the situation for like the I will get so mad if that, like, comes around again. I'm playing Maria on the French horn. So something that Lexi and Haley know about me and now all of our lovely listeners are going to know about me is I have two favorite things, museums and fucking over Nazis. This story has both. Lexi is giving me a round of applause. We love it. So did you two see Monuments Men? No, I have not. Lexi is nodding. Well, my lady for today is... The inspiration for the character Claire Simone, played by Kate Blanchett, in the movie Monuments Men. She's kind of turned into just a love interest, but this is not a movie review podcast. This is a history podcast. So, Rose Ballant. She was born on November 1st, 1898, in a small town in France that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It occurred to me that this is why we tend to stick with ladies who are... American and British is because so many of these sources were in French and I was like I don't speak French sometimes I feel bad about that but other times I'm like I can't read these sources we should get some listeners to send us translations of ladies from their home countries that we can use so if you have a lady from your home country or speak a language of a country translate some sources for a rare lady and send them to us we would love to talk about rare ladies who are like that's the whole point, like overlooked by history. And Google Translate does not help. I'm ready for someone to be like, use Google Translate because I've I seen literally, that on so many podcasts. Yeah, not I have a Google Translate story later in this about how bad it was. Rose earned two separate degrees in art history from the École du Louvre and the Sorbonne. I overpronounce things in French because you can't be corrected if you're wrong on purpose. She also has two previous degrees from École des Beaux-Arts in Lyon and in Paris, which I think translates just like to School for Fine Arts or School of Fine Arts. And yet she takes an unpaid volunteer job at the Jeux de Palme in 1932. 
it says volunteer. I've been thinking of her as an unpaid intern because that just resonates with me personally. I watched the documentary Rape of Europa, which is all about this project. Um, I did that while I was a little bit drunk and I looked at my notes afterwards and I have this line here in all caps, holy shit, she was unpaid. I was very excited about her being an unpaid intern because unpaid interns can do anything. The amazing thing about that is that for most of museum's history, once women were allowed in, they weren't allowed to be paid to work. That's like, a whole other issue. When you look at the Smithsonian archives, the number of women that were just there because their husband was there, but then actually contributed way more than their husbands, but then got paid like 80 bucks as a present one time, like crazy. I digress. And the Jeux de Pomme is an art museum a little bit further from Paris, a little bit lesser known from Paris. It's like for my DC friends, my DC audience, it's like the Louvre is the National Gallery of Art and the Jeux de Pomme is the Hirshhorn. So like it's a little bit lesser known, but like still really cool. I can't find a good timeline for like her level of promotion and how far she came, um, which how this was like less than a hundred years ago, but okay. Uh, eventually she gets a job being a paid attache and then becomes assistant curator when the curator falls ill. Uh, she was in charge of modern art exhibits, which is very interesting because a very prominent art school reject has just become chancellor of Germany and hates modern art and thinks it's degenerate. Oh, this will come into play later. It was Hitler. I just want to be like, Hitler was a, an art school reject who thought modern art, or I guess 1930s art was degenerate. I just want That's to explain That's my second joke. favorite fact about Hitler. What's your first favorite fact? <laughs> that he only had one testicle. That he only had one testicle. Okay, so in October of 1940, the Nazis commandeered the Jeux de Pomme for storing looted art. This was the Eisen... I don't speak German. I'm going to get it clean. Einsatzstab Reichsleiter Rosenberg Project. It was the name of the operation that Hitler used for all of the basically art looting that he did. That was like the name of the project, name of the operation. And then the director of the French National Museums says to Rose Valland, stay there, be a spy. And she's like, okay. Um, and she works the phones, which is an amazing way to like listen in and keep track of movements. But guess what? They're like being all loosey-goosey with their info around her because they're like, oh, she's French. We're speaking German. It'll be fine. Plot twist. She knows German. So she managed to keep a diary of which like prominent Jewish collectors owned what and what went where and who took it and how, where it was going and cataloged all this stuff. She was interrogated for being a spy twice. And there's a quote from her, like she wrote a, a memoir about this, this time in her life. And she says, he looked at me straight in the eye and told me I could be shot. I calmly replied, that no one here is stupid enough to ignore the risk. And that is movie dialogue level shit. Like, oh my God, <laughs> incredible. But like, so she's, she's interviewed a couple times and she's like, no, look, I'm a woman. I can't be a spy. Look at my glasses. 
<laughs> I'm a spy. Remember, She's women spy. can't be money. Women can't be spy. Women don't be money. Women don't be spies. We all um, have glasses, so we are all spies. We are all spies. Can't be glasses. She has there like all these cute little pictures of her and she's wearing Harry Potter glasses, but this was way before Harry Potter. And also like Harry Potter is kind of cringe now. So I think we need to call Harry Potter glasses, Rose Valon glasses. That's my new social movement. That's my new fight. Acceptable. We should yeah. start a Twitter campaign. Yeah, I should. After the war, she kept working with the museum and she kept working with the monuments men. That was like their actual name. That's not just the name of the movie. And she was looking for the stolen art and she was part of the French Commission on Art Recovery. At age 54, she was finally made curator. Women, women don't be museums. Women don't be money. Women don't be spies. Women don't be museums. She's also given so many awards before she's even made curator. She's like the most decorated woman in France. And then she's made curator. And like, that's all she ever wanted was to be a curator. But she has like, she's awarded the Legion of Honor, the Medal of the Resistance, the Officer's Cross, the Order of Merit of the Federal Republic of Germany. She's made commander of the Order of Arts and Letters. In 1948, she's given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. But all she wants is to be curator of this museum. I've never felt a story on this show <laughs> so hard. <laughs> um, and then, wait, how us is this part? She retired from the museum in 1968, but she went back to being a volunteer for 10 years. I've never felt closer Incredible. to a woman. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think this is my past life. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> she published a book called, it's basically like the, the front of art, like the art front. It's a pun on a different book called Art of the Front. But so she's just talking about like fighting the war, but from the perspective of an art museum, essentially. Um, it became the Hollywood movie, The Train, in the 60s. But in her book, she's not like a hero or glorifying herself. She's very objective. And her fictionalized character in The Train has like 10 minutes of screen time. She just wants to talk about the deeds, not really herself. She's just like, I was doing my job, which is the only way you should be using that phrase in the context of World War II. But James Wormer, who is fictionalized to James Granger, Matt Damon, Matt Damon's character in Monuments Men, um, in an early draft of his book, he literally says Rose Valland is the hero of the story. I just think it's so amazing that she was so prominent in this and all she's like, okay, I just want to go work at my museum now. Goodbye. But with a French accent, because she was French. I was going to attempt it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. There is a statue of it's sort of, there's a statue that's sort of of her in Lille, France, L-I-L-L-E, France, which is like a little town about 225 kilometers or 140 miles north of Paris. It's pretty close to the Belgian border. The way in which I had to go to the Hebrew language Wikipedia page and translate it to English to find out that's where this statue was. So here's my Google Translate story. In Hebrew, I speak very little Hebrew. Shout out to my uh, at-home synagogue who gave me a job teaching Hebrew, even though I don't speak it. I love that. But the there's a prefix, the, which means and. And so when I translated the page into English, the computer translated 
Rose the Alan to Rose and Alan. So that's why we don't trust the Google Translate. That's why we don't trust the computer translate. We only trust the people, the humans, because there's like no capitals in in Hebrew. So you can't tell like what's a name and what's not. This statue does not look like her at all. It's more like a monument to her. It's like a woman wrapped in a sheet surrounded by empty frames. And it's kind of weird, but it's like a memorial to her. There is ongoing work with the recovery project. There are still paintings that the Nazis looted that haven't been found. It is called the ERR project for Eisenstab or whatever. And they're trying to find the stolen works. And it is sponsored by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, Please Give Me a Job, United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, uh, and the Jewish Claims Conference. Um, So it's like her life is not, like her life's work is not complete and we have to finish it. I had a really good time researching the story. Shout out to my dad for the four bucks he gave me so that I could rent Monuments Men on Amazon. Yeah, I also have documentaries this week. It's fun that we've like done different kinds of sources. We covered such different heroes like Mm -hmm. I I love it mine's like the classical like oh she literally like pulled someone out of water yeah and then Haley's is more like look how many people's lives that she touched and therefore like save people through music and then Alana's is about saving art which is so cool that we all have different types of heroes there's no wrong way to be a shiro that's why I wanted to ask the question. What is a Shiro? Yeah. Anyone can that. be a Shiro. Anyone who uses she, her pronouns can be a Shiro. Lex is doing a fist bump and it's very funny that she has a screenshot from one of our previous Zoom meetings as her Zoom background. What would be the non-binary version of hero, Shiro? They row. Okay, I ah, like that. I love that. Well, I wanted to say that, but then I didn't want to be like, that was in my head. But They row. Trying to like pronounce it sounded like weird. my favorite joke that nobody likes. It's like happy Rosh or like Shana Tova to all my Hebrew Shebrews and Hebrews. Yeah, my favorite joke in the whole world, and I made it on Twitter, and nobody liked it. If you see me on Twitter, no, you don't. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you but you will hear us next week on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're heading to the zoo to monkey around. Get ready for some zoologists, zookeepers, primatologists, you name it. It's going to be such an animal party. I have a confession to make. Every time you say the birth date of one of your ladies, I'm like, oh, so her star sign is (laughs) like Haley was like she was born on April 16th and in my head I'm like so she's an Aries (laughs) I think of the same thing I like it's just like where I am I always think that like every time I write down a birthday I'm like oh maybe this time I'll be like oh that makes her a Scorpio like Rose Milan Scorpio